0: This is Friends and Benefits, a podcast hosted by Reward Strategies editor, Amber Ainsley Pritchard, and you may have guessed it, her Friends and Benefits. Stay tuned to find out what's hot, what's not, and what's happening in the world of pay and reward. Hello there, and welcome to Friends and Benefits. It's me again, the woman with many Friends and Benefits. We are back with our third podcast, and indeed, we are still working from home due to the pandemic. Very strange times. Shops in England have now opened, but we're still restricted to who and how we can see our friends and family. Today, I'm catching up with our guest virtually. I'm sure many of you know him. He also has a podcast series, which I featured on last year. This is, of course, Nick Day, Managing Director of JGA Recruitment. Hi, Nick. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm good. Excited to be here. Excited to be on your podcast rather than my own. So, yeah, happy days.
0: Well, yeah, you're a guest for a change. And thank you for coming on.
1: My pleasure. I'm looking forward to it
0: how you found
1: the lockdown so far. very challenging I'm not going to lie um it's uh, it's been challenging both for personal reasons and uh, and business reasons but um i we're seeing some considerable upturn now which is positive i think when it first hit we lost 95% of our business in about 48 hours so we went into panic mode uh, but slowly and surely we're uh, we're coming through and the markets are recovering so um always half you know pint half full kind of guy anyway so I'm positive and uh, excited to see what the future brings now that we are slowly starting to come out of it.
0: Yeah, definitely. You have to be positive in these scenarios and just look for that silver lining and hopefully we're on the other side now.
1: Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed.
0: You're a very keen sportsman and you're always challenging yourself for charity. Have you been doing much during the lockdown? I've seen a few little things on LinkedIn.
1: I have. Yeah, I've been pretty busy. I think I was inspired by my daughter who was doing portraits for the NHS and charging £5 for social media portraits. She raised £1,200. She was inundated with requests. So I thought, okay, if she can do something and she's only aged 10, I need to do something myself. So I wanted to get up to the 2000 mark as a combined effort. So I did, um, a couple of weeks ago, I set myself a challenge to run 200 kilometres in seven days, which I managed despite getting injured on day four and raised £800. Uh, for the challenge, so that was good. And it was a bit of a an effort for me to get focused and lose a bit of a lockdown weight as well, because I've been drinking <laughs> probably a bit too much and eating far too much. So, uh yeah, a lot, my challenge was to lose seven pounds, but I lost five, but I did manage to run the 200. So, um yeah.
0: Yeah, I think everyone's got one way or the other. Eat loads or become like a health freak and just, you know really go for it yeah but that's
1: incredible that's it or become an exercise guru as everyone seems to be uh, going mad with their hit workouts at home in front of Joe Wicks I don't know if Joe Wicks is still going but I know he was definitely a craze at the start
0: I don't know he's definitely vanished at the moment I haven't seen much from him
1: I had all my kids dancing around, I say dancing, working out around the kitchen while I was trying to work from home, doing squats and uh, and burpees and things. <laughs> it seems to have dissipated and stopped now. So I don't know if he's still doing it or they just gave it up. But it was one of those fads that everyone thought, got to get fit, and then kind of gave it up a bit later. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, definitely been benefits of the lockdown. It's been great to be home. I don't know for those that know, but I, I live in Devon and work in St. Albans. So I tend to spend a week away from home. Um, every other week to to be with the business, and a week away from the family, which I really struggle with. So to be in lockdown and be home with them now for you know nearly sixty days has been a real blessing, and that's been lovely.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's been it's been really good for families to be able to just come together and have that time, which you would I don't think anyone would ever normally get, would they? Really, unless you're going to take all of your annual leave in one go, no one gets that opportunity. No.
1: Exactly. And it's been an opportunity to prove that, you know, particularly for payroll departments, but the same in recruitment, that we can still operate remotely. You know, business doesn't have to stop and I can be at home with the kids and still run a successful, well, hopefully a successful company that that comes out of this. So um, it's been a it's been a quick learning curve for for lots of us, but a, a positive one in the sense that we've been able to prove that we can work in lockdown conditions, which has been really encouraging.
0: Yeah. And that's been a big thing, I think, for this whole sector and the sector you serve. But before we get into that, I thought we'd take a step back and talk a little bit about how you came to be in recruitment, and specifically for the pay and HR sectors. If you want to tell us a little bit about your journey?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, it's quite an interesting story, because I don't know if people know this or not, but I studied a master's in theatre and performance. Uh, my plan was to become a lecturer. I never wanted to teach at school, but always wanted to teach at university. I absolutely loved uni and thought, okay, if I can continue my career teaching, that'd be fantastic. So did my master's at Royal Holloway University in theatre and performance um, with the plan to do a PhD, but I accrued quite a lot of debt, about £32,000 at the time, which was far too much for me to uh, be able to afford to do my PhD. So I thought, okay, maybe I'll find a teaching job. And I was actually offered a position to join a private school in Sloan Square to teach theatre, but they changed the hours from full-time to part-time. And I realised, you know what, I'm never going to clear this debt if I go into teaching. So I pivoted and thought I'm going to go into sales and I want to work in a role that involves people. Um, so I decided on recruitment. I had a few interviews and a few job offers actually in, in other sectors like IT and, and other things like that. But I didn't want to work in a function or recruiter that uh, was skill so skill-based that it wasn't about personality. So I didn't want to find someone who had, I don't know, at the time C++, whatever, but the personality didn't matter. Um, so when I came across payroll recruitment for my first time, uh, my manager then, Scott Tunnell, who still an inspiration to me now he lives out in singapore we're still in touch uh, he was like look the payroll profession is an industry where most of the calls they get are complaints because they haven't got pay right it's very rare that someone calls them and says you've done a job well done so it's all about relationship building they're keen to have a conversation it's not if you like talking to people and building relationships then the payroll sector is is going to be a perfect one for you where you can use all your theatrical skills to um you know, to build relationships and and, and raised the profile of the industry. Now, this was 17, 18 years ago. Um, and I thought, yeah, that sounds like me. So first job in recruitment, I turned up my first day. I was called Stig of the Dump at the time because I turned up with Doc Martens. And I, had a, I used to work in security for a company called Alcatel. And I had a shirt that had lapels on it. So I took the lapels off and turned up my first day. I refused to spend money on work clothes. I was in debt. So I was going to use whatever I had. And my manager gave me two shirts from Asda. And my MD gave me a trench coat to say, you've got to smarten yourself up. Um, so that's how I started.
0: Hi, it's a pretty picture. <laughs>
1: Yeah, look, it was very different. I was was a a, a true thespian, right? It wasn't about the clothes, it was about the stage. And I was (laughs) working in London, loving the theatre, a lot of my friends are still actors. And it gave me an opportunity to clear my debt quickly, because I was incredibly motivated to work hard. Um, And I was fortunate enough to move through the ranks very, very quickly with that firm, which allowed me to become an associate director in a a relatively short space of time. Um, And then I thought, right, this is kind of my career you, you fall in love with with the industry you fall in love with the people that you that you represent and you work with and I'm still, <laughs> for lo and behold I'm still in payroll now I definitely consider myself a payroll professional I know I don't process payroll but it's been my industry all my life so um yeah I I, I it's it served me and my family very well and I don't see that changing hopefully in, in the near future it's um it's something that I'm, I'm committed to continuing with and I've loved I've loved every minute of it
0: no, and of course, I it's a brilliant, I mean, it's a brilliant profession, especially when you get to deal with all these payroll and HR professionals who are so deserving of the respect and you helping to build their profile. And I want to come on to that definitely in a minute. But I wanted to pick up on obviously COVID-19 have affected the recruitment sector. So many people are out of jobs now, but those jobs, they haven't really got jobs for them to go into. So it's a very pressured time but I believe that you set up JGA in 2008. So financial crash brings mine. I mean, do you like working under pressure? Like, did anything go hand in hand with setting up the business during that time because of the crash?
1: I mean, like definitely if... Uh... <laughs> to decided to launch my own business at a better time. That's for sure. We got the. Inv- I went to a, a venture capitalist for investment. So I'm a 50% owner in James Gray Associates and a venture capitalist, a business partner of mine, a guy called Mark Kemp owns the other 50%. Uh, we've been great business partners all the way through. He's been an incredible support to me. And funnily enough, his background is publishing. Uh, he has have his own um, telecommunications magazine, which he sold to Euro money. And I decided that the market has shifted, which kind of brings into the HR element of what we do. And I was seeing back in 2007, a lot of hybrid positions coming to market, a lot of HR positions being offered to be by my clients that I wasn't able to work on because that's not what we did. We were just payroll. And I felt that the payroll market was moving. So I decided, well, look, I think there is a market here. I think the payroll market is is changing very quickly. So I'm going to go and do it by myself. So I went to a venture capitalist and asked for some investment, a bit like Dragon's Den. It was exactly like that. I asked for money in return for equity, uh, which I secured, but it was two months before yeah, uh, you know, the huge financial meltdown of two thousand and eight, uh, and Lehman Brothers went under two months later, and there was new business, no clients hiring, very very difficult to 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 build any kind of traction. But you are where you are and you've got to be positive. And I just thought, you know what? This is a chance for me to, to build relationships, start again. And if you're with people in the tough times, they'll stay with you, I, I believe, in the good times. We've tried to replicate that again in co- the COVID-19 crisis, but we grew in 2008. We've grown every single year since we started and... Maybe maybe this year'll be the one year we don't see growth. I don't know. It's definitely been a challenging time, but it's also been a really good time of, of reflection where we've, you know, it's allowed me to get back in touch with some payroll uh, clients and HR clients that I've worked with for many years and to strengthen those relationships and try and support them in ways that hasn't necessarily just involved recruitment. Um, as you know, Amber, we've we've launched a, a COVID-19 newsletter, which has become a daily newsletter. Now, I've got no publishing experience, so I didn't realise how much work it would be to have a daily newsletter. Oh my God, it takes up a lot of my time. Yeah, so I've completely underestimated that, but I've, you know, we've, I've stuck with it. And I, I think that's been a real help to people. I've been sharing your stories and stories out there that hopefully have helped payroll managers to navigate the challenges and the legislation changes that have been coming thick and fast that little bit easier. We've had sort of free follow calculators and other bits and pieces as well.
0: Yeah, and I really enjoy they're very, They're very bright and colourful as well. And I always like the same to do with gin at the start of each newsletter, like we're in the first day of the week, have a gin, second day of the week, closer to the weekend. It is a
1: little bit like that yeah well you know you've got to get a bit of your own personality in these things otherwise they just become a bit dull and um, as I said at the start with that uh, that running challenge I've definitely been drinking a lot more gin during this period (laughs) I'm a bit of a fan of the different flavored ones I've got blackberry and rhubarb and ginger and all these different things so I've been drinking a bit too much and I feel like the end of every day which every day is a bit of a challenge and it's good to reward yourself at the end of the day with you know something just to just to relax yourself and get yourself prepared for the next day to come
0: you definitely
1: need to reward yourself. Yeah, 100%. And as does everyone else. It's been it's definitely been a challenging time. I think any anyone who works in recruitment that says this has been easy is is not telling you the the, the truth. As I said, we lost 95% of all our business in 48 hours. And I've got a team that I support as a business owner that I care passionately about they've got families they've got children and it's been my mission to make sure we come out of this as strong as we possibly can to make sure their families are supported and that the payroll communities that and hr communities that we support have the resources and and and, you know can feel they can rely on us if they need to um, and I think it's, it's actually been a real positive. Yeah, it's been difficult, but slowly but surely the business has been coming back. Clients are starting to recruit again. Uh, we're still we're operating at about sixty percent now, so only forty percent down to what we were pre-pandemic. And I think that's really encouraging. And I know you mentioned that it's going to be a tough time with people being made redundant, a lot of the, a lot of people being out of work. But actually. Payroll departments have been relatively robust during this crisis. Mm-hmm. There haven't been the same numbers of people in payroll uh, re- being made redundant as you've seen in other industries, and that's because of the critical role they've been playing in in, in making sure that people are getting paid during this this pandemic. Um, and you know, I, I do think that if anything, the the profile of the payroll industry is, has actually really, really been risen during this time because HR directors and finance directors and business stakeholders and leaders have realised that the important role that that payroll professionals have played and therefore finally uh, hopefully they're going to get a little bit more investment into additional resources to make sure that continues i mean to see the australian prime minister publicly you know make a statement about the important role payroll professionals have played in australia i think was a massive sign of just how much the profile of the industry has changed during this, this these last 60 days
0: well, that's exactly what I wanted to speak to you about, because obviously you do so much to raise the profile of payroll, something that is a reward strategy you're also a big advocate for. Um, and obviously the pandemic has proved just how important payroll is. But I wonder whether people are going to remember that when life goes back to normal, because it's all too easy for people to revert to their old ways and not sort of realise that you know, payroll kept the nation paid. So do you think when life goes back to normal these payroll functions and the payrollers are going to get more recognition or investment?
1: Oh, it's a good question. I think there's a responsibility on the behalf of the payroll professionals to remind stakeholders of what they did during this crisis. I think if they if payroll professionals remain silent post-pandemic, then we'll revert back to normal. Um, I do, I'm do. i a big believer, though, in it takes three weeks to change a habit, and we've been in lockdown a lot longer than that. So I would like to think that habits have changed for senior stakeholders to recognise the role that pale professionals have, have had during this time. And I think one big change that we've seen uh, as recruiters is, uh, number one, a lot of companies have got blanket freezers, which obviously as a recruiter I'm not a fan of. I don't think they work. To blanket freeze an entire business means that you under-resourced critical functions. Um, but actually what we've seen is some companies, not many, but some, come away from the blanket freezes and make exceptions for payroll departments. And that hasn't, it's not something I saw during the financial crisis. So it's something that's new to me as a recruiter. The other thing is I've seen people register vacancies with me that never usually would register them. So, um, you know, different stakeholders, business owners saying, Nick, I've never needed to use a payroll recruiter before. This isn't usually something I would do, but it's critical. I need someone in. I needed them yesterday, or these furlough calculations won't be paid. And I think that there's a recognition there from stakeholders who probably never even thought about payroll before, suddenly realizing the important function it plays. I think there's, there has to be a responsibility, though, on the profession as a whole, and that, that includes me, that includes reward strategy, and the other um, providers out there, as well as the individuals involved, to continue to push um you know the the profile of payroll after this pandemic and to remind people of the role they've played Um hopefully we won't forget the work the critical work that the nhs and other key workers have done post-pandemic and i don't see why if we're not going to forget them we should forget the role payroll people have played either um but you know we can't predict the future so let's let's wait and see but i'm hoping um you know we can we can continue to to to, to push the industry forward
0: yeah, I really hope so. They really deserve this recognition now and continue it going forward. But like you say, it's us, as well as the individuals themselves that need to sort of promote the promotion uh, promote the profession from within and make sure they're heard.
1: Yeah, we have seen some people, uh, some personalities come to the fore during this crisis. I mean, if you look at LinkedIn news feeds, there are people now posting about payroll on a regular basis and the role they've played and crediting their teams and doing all these kind of things much more than we ever saw. Pre-pandemic, um, and I think that's a really good sign, and that, that just sort of make sure that, that continues. We have seen some new voices come to the front, which is great. You know, there's some familiar voices like yours, Amber, and probably like mine, but there are a lot new, a lot of new people coming to the fore as well now, which is really encouraging. And I, I remember doing a presentation for the CIPP a couple of years ago on the power of social media, and just saying that you know, actually incentivizing your staff doesn't have to be financially related that sometimes the biggest incentive you can make is just doing a public announcement on something like linkedin saying what a great team you have and what a, you know they delivered a fantastic project and public recognition goes a long way i think we've seen an awful lot of that happen from payroll managers up and down the country and that's been amazing to see and i hope that continues because that's not about hr that's not about finance that's not about feeling under appreciated by any other stakeholder that comes from the payroll managers themselves and i i really hope that, that really continues
0: yeah, and I think it's also about when payroll professionals see like themselves represented in the mainstream media as well, other than the verticals that we offer. I think mean, as soon as they see that everyone else can see that payroll is important, like when it's published on BBC and they have stats and different things, then it's where the word payroll is mentioned, that also gives them that incentive to be like, okay, okay, we're recognised now, let's you know promote it ourselves, and it spurs them on a little bit.
1: Sure. I've realised there are a few challenges, as you probably know this already, uh, being reward strategy, but... Uh, when we do the newsletters, for example, I realised very quickly that if I put payroll newsletter in the subject line, it just goes into everyone's spam box. So um, you, you can't have words like payroll in certain areas, or, or it doesn't get picked up. So um, that was been a bit of a learning curve for me. That you want to try and build the profile of payroll, but if you do it through an email campaign or a newsletter campaign, you just can't use the words in certain places, or it just doesn't—you know—just gets picked up by junk mail. So um, I've learned a lot as a publisher on this side, and I'm sure, you, know, you guys will know this already. But it's—it's uh, it's been a steep learning curve in other areas.
0: And I wanted to speak to you about the workforce on a wide scale as well. Now, I saw some research last week about a fifth of UK HR directors believing that by 2025, so five years' time, 75% of their workforce would be gig workers. Now, I don't see how realistic that could be for the entire workforce, but I wonder maybe how this would affect the recruitment sector, but also, I mean, it sounds crazy, but in years and years to come, could we even have payroll or HR gig workers, someone, new company, payroll person's out, they only have one payroll person in their company, they're on holiday, someone come in and fill in the payroll. I mean, would that ever be a realistic thing?
1: I think we've got a lot of work to do in the payroll industry until that happens. I think there's been, a, it's a difficult one to know. 2025 is so, so far ahead and we're going to see so many changes in the industry between now and then personally I don't think that's going to happen in the payroll industry I can't see I might be completely wrong on here and this is probably some of my bias in it because I've always been more of a permanent um, recruiter I I don't do as much work on the contractor side we do it as a business but it's never been my passion my passion has been finding people you know permanent positions the average tenure within the payroll industry at the minute is 2.2 years until they make a move which is still um, above average compared to other sectors and I still think payroll is so critical that to, to, to move it to a gig economy would be challenging, to say the least. But I don't know. 2025 is a long way a long way out. And I think HR is very you know it is very different to payroll. It's more siloed than payroll as well. So I think it's much easier for that to be true for the pay for the HR industry because you can silo it into different areas of specialism, which you can you could utilize gig contractors for. But I I don't know if that's going to be the case for payroll. But I might be wrong.
0: No, I mean, well I agree, I don't see it happening anytime soon, but I just thought it was an interesting element
1: to look at. Yeah, I think there's lots of stats like that coming out about the future. It, it, it does make good good reading to read what people predict and I've done a couple of uh, webinars during lockdown on what I, you know how I foresee the industry changing. I certainly do see more hybrid roles um Taking you know coming into the fore for the future more payroll and HR more payroll and reward payroll and benefits or you know all those kind of uh, additional responsibilities coming into the realm of, of the payroll professional. So from that perspective, I think we're going to see a big shift. I think we're going to see a huge shift in the number of soft skills needed by payroll professionals, um, as opposed to technical skills which get outdated very quickly. I think we're going to see a, a big increase in leadership skills. That that's for me there is a shortage in the payroll industry, and I don't mean to to, to be unfair because there are some fantastic leaders within the peril community, but typically they've come through the ranks Uh, by being a payroll expert, not by being necessarily uh, the modern leader. And I think leadership skills are something that most sectors lack, not just payroll. And I I think we're going to see a big shift um, in in the the, the skill in leadership within payroll professionals and also more training providers offering leadership-based qualifications and leadership uh, skills training going forward. So that's something I think we're going to see a big shift in.
0: I think it comes back to that sort of education element like payroll isn't really offered up when you go to school you don't even learn about how to look after your finances unless they're gonna I know there's been talks about bringing that in now but that's still not part of the curriculum no you go to high school college uni no one ever mentions payroll even if you go in to do something finance related it's never really offered up as an opportunity so it's that old age thing where people just fall into payroll so you don't necessarily think about being taught about the specific skills you need other than being technical but it is a people profession now they're dealing with people and they're dealing with people's incomes aren't they it's their life so i think leadership among the soft skills even that you speak of when it's helping pick up on things when it's relating to their health mental health you know the connections with the benefits i mean there's so many things that come together like they need totally agree all soft i
1: think though so this is difficult again, because I <laughs> it might sound like I'm being negative. I don't mean to be. But I think we've got to be slightly careful about the falling into payroll element. I think if we say it too often, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think we've got to start owning those decisions more. I think people have every right to say, you know what? I want to be a payroll professional and own that decision. And This is what I want to do for the following reasons. And there, there are a lot of good reasons to choose payroll as a career. I totally agree that there needs more... Uh, we need to educate school leavers and university leavers and those um, kind of professionals that, that the payroll is a choice. And, um, and I've done talks at the St. Albans Boys School and things like that, talking about the the, the, the career of the payroll professional, what options it gives you. Uh, to quote Max uh, van der Klisper-Sink, he said, you know, payroll brings in the best of technology, the best of HR, the best of finance. Uh, if you want those things in your role, then, then be a payroller because that's actually what you're, you know, what you're exposed to. But I think we need to hopefully, with those doing the apprenticeship schemes now, there'll be more people saying, you know what, I chose to do payroll. And I think as soon as we own it as a choice, it it raises the profile all by itself because it's not something we should be scared of. It shouldn't be a decision we, 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 we regret. It shouldn't be a decision which we're ashamed of. It should be something, you know what, payroll is a, a chartered profession it has so many avenues that it can lead to, whether you want to be a payroll manager, an implementation professional, a project manager, an entrepreneur. You know, I spoke to Steve Sauwitz, who's a billionaire payroll professional uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he's created his wealth through launching different payroll businesses, both in the US and the UK. And it just shows if you can become a billionaire through payroll, really anything is possible. And I think we as an industry now need to own it. We need to say, right, we are proud of this profession. It's given me everything. It's supported my family. It's supported my career. It's allowed me to get to this. It's given me exposure to, to X, Y, and Z. And uh, I think the sooner we do that, the quicker the profession can, can, can really take control of itself and, and really hopefully, not, not challenge, but, but raise its profile against other counterparts, which we know are probably more recognized than payroll is, than the likes of finance and the likes of HR.
0: And I also wonder whether now whether there's an opportunity because so many people are out of work and there's not that many roles which they may have been in which are needed now. But every company needs someone in payroll, so I wonder whether this is an opportunity now for people to retrain for what the economy needs, which is, I mean, possibly more payroll professionals.
1: It's a good question and a good. It's interesting because the problem you've got when you recruit, and this is what I do is my lifestyle and. You know the biggest issue payroll people have often is they think people just press a big red button, right? And payroll gets delivered. A lot of people think, as recruiters, all we do is send a CV and we make money. It's a lot more complicated than that. And it, you know, in my in JGA's instance, in our, my company, it's taken 17 years of building a network, a database, building relationships that allows me that if you have a requirement. I can respond instantaneously because I've done that work for 17 years. So there's a huge amount of work that goes behind the scenes, prepping, preparing, assessing, and all those elements that, that payroll managers and hiring managers don't see. But the reality is when it comes to payroll, if you put an advert out right now, you're going to get absolutely inundated because the people think they can do payroll when they can't. If you've done payroll as a bar manager for 12 employees and you see a payroll administrator job and you just been made redundant from your local bar you're probably going to apply for that job because, it again, it's underappreciated. People think anyone can do it. So it's a risk. You put out an advert for a payroll professional, you're going to get absolutely inundated. And I speak to clients all the time and say, we don't need an agency. We've put an advert out and we've got loads of applications. I know you've got loads of applications because we get loads to our adverts too. But 99.9% of those applications are going to be irrelevant, unskilled people who you know skilled in different professions but not skilled in payroll or not skilled enough to undertake the role that they've applied for. And our job as recruiters is to save people time we do that assessment it's not that you can't get people direct you can get people direct in any sector in the world across all industries if you're doing adverts and do different things agencies are there to save you time by finding the best people because we know the market and to find those best people quickly because what brands also forget is if i'm a bar person who's applied for a payroll job because i've done payroll for 12 employees within my firm which has probably just been outsourced to somebody else in the first place you've still got to get back to that bar manager. If you don't, it affects your brand. So you've got to go back to that person and say, you're not suitable because we need X, Y, and Z. And then you get into a whole dialogue with that person where as a bar person, I might counsel you and say, well, I think I am suitable. And that's just a, time, it's just a time sap. And you've got to make sure you respond to every single application. And what's going to be interesting post-pandemic is as people try and save money in the short term uh, by placing adverts and going direct, they're going to get absolutely inundated and it's going to cost them in time. Um, And it'll be interesting to see how the market does change going forward and whether people do pivot into payroll, as you mentioned. But I think for them to do that, people need to really understand what the payroll professional does. And until people really know what a payroller is and what they do day to day, and I mean really understand it, then people aren't going to pivot to it because people don't think it's really a profession yet. They think it's unskilled and it's not. And that's an education piece that reward strategy needs to work on, that I need to work on, and everyone needs to work on in the apparel community to say, look, this is a skilled, chartered profession. And if you want to choose it as a career, we can open up many, many doors for you. But take it seriously, because it's not easy. It's incredibly challenging. It's incredibly demanding. You work long hours for often very little uh, reward in terms of praise. Uh it's less re- well remunerated to other professions, but actually there are other rewards you just can't see. And you know, getting a, an efficient payroll run correctly and on time with a great team around you is is an amazing experience and you see those people celebrating those stories on LinkedIn every day. Um but I think we need to really define what the payroll position is and what payroll people do before we're gonna see people pivoting towards it as a profession. I don't know if I've articulated that well enough, but hopefully that makes sense. No,
0: completely I think so too. And it go it just goes back to the education and raising the um, profile of payroll. And I wanted to come back to you on something you talked about then in regards to recruitment more than payroll specifically. But when you're finding candidates and from a recruitment point of view, what obligation does the sector have to help clients fairly hire individuals in terms of diversity and inclusion?
1: Wow, that is a huge question and something we could probably talk about on a new podcast all by itself. We definitely have a very diverse workforce at JJ Recruitment, and that's something that I'm really proud of. And certainly as a recruiter, we try and diversify the talent pools that we we utilize to make sure that, you know, we're reaching out to the most diverse range of candidates possible. So we recruit not just from LinkedIn, but we use Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, We've got our own database. We've got access to multiple other talent pools as well. And that really, really does help make sure that we are... Providing shortlists with, with real diversity uh, in them, which is important because the fact of the matter is certainly within the payroll industry, but be- in other industries as well, there's still an underrepresentation of Barme and LGBTQIA applicants. And that's something we need to proactively. Try and improve and change. There is still a lot of unconscious bias that we see in, in job descriptions. So I think companies could do more to keep in mind diversity in the way that they write their job descriptions. Sometimes we will see language in job descriptions that that may put people off, from, you know, from underprivileged backgrounds and things like that. So I think there's more that can be done from a from both a recruitment perspective. And a corporate perspective. Now, most companies will seek to hire employees based on culture fit. And while it's understandable that companies want to hire people who fit in, it can lead to a homogenous workforce. So instead, I think employers should be hiring people that can really evolve their culture. And to do that, it can be really helpful by targeting candidates that bring something unique to the company, You know, something that, that perhaps doesn't currently exist. And if people start casting their recruitment nets wider, which is certainly something we try to do at JGA, by including people from underrepresented groups, by including BAME and LGBTQIA candidates, then I think that will really help companies to diversify their workforces. And the fact is... Nearly every study that I've read shows that when there's greater racial and ethnic diversity at boardroom level, companies perform better. So I think that's a really, really important element to consider, that if companies are able to diversify their workforces more, if they're able to recruit more BAME, LGBTQIA people into their businesses, then it should improve overall strategic performance and their bottom lines as a result. But unfortunately... of employers at the minute do not have programs in place that actively attract diverse candidates. And that is an issue, especially when, you know, over 50% say diversity is crucial to ensuring that they're doing business ethically. So those two things don't quite go together at the minute and we need to try and rebalance that. And I think campaigns like the Black Lives Matter campaign at the minute are going to be really, really helpful for pushing the ED&I agendas that, that we need to see happen more and more and we need to see more voices coming to the table and you know it doesn't matter what your background is if we all start talking about diversity if we all start promoting diversity then collectively we can make a real difference and I don't know what it feels like to be Discriminated against in that way, so it's sometimes very difficult for me to talk about. But all I do know is I'm someone who actively wants to promote more diversity in recruitment. Hopefully, I'm not my own in wanting to do that, and together we can um, we can improve workforces and um the representation for for BAME candidates and LGBTQI candidates um, across the board. Yeah,
0: we've all got more work to do. Definitely. Well, I think mean, that's a good. A good area to wrap up, and that can be something we can explore further, and hopefully another podcast. Sure. Um, well, thank you for coming on today, Nick. I hope you've enjoyed yourself.
1: Yeah, it's been great. It's great to be on the other side, uh, not asking the questions. <laughs>
0: um, well, I hope that everyone listening is staying safe and well, and I really can't wait to get out and about and see you all in person soon. Reward Strategy has moved all of its conferences and awards to Q3 and Q4 this year, so keep an eye out for more details or pop me an email if you have any. Questions or would like to join me on the next podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Nick, for being here. And hopefully, we'll be back with soon.
1: Thank you very much, Amber. Been an absolute pleasure.